We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating, but so much more than just modern dating. In the 10 seasons that we've been doing this show, we realize that we talk about everything that is modern dating, but also just the reasons behind why people do the things they do. Right, Julie? It's so much more than just dating stories. Yeah. And why like modern dating is forever changing how we do relationships, which we'll be going into a lot more on this season finale that we have for you all about just how this equates to the long term. That's right. You heard that, right? This is the season finale (laughs) for our 10th season. I still can't believe it. Our guest today came to us through multiple sources. I feel like many people (laughs) shared his articles about shitty husbands. You uh, probably know who I'm talking about. If not, you'll 
obviously hear the entire interview. But it just brings back the quote that we've been saying since season one, which is we're all each other's consequences. And in this current time, in everything we're going through right now, I really hope that we can take that to heart. With COVID, we're all each other's consequences too. And Julie, (laughs) I don't know if I fully express how disappointed I was this week because I was supposed to go down to LA to visit my parents. Something happened where someone who I've been in contact with was also in contact with someone who tested positive. So as a result, we all had to not leave and not travel and basically quarantine for 14 days. And it's unfortunate because I I wish, like this is a person who's always said, UA, I don't understand why people don't wear masks. People should really take care and like be be safe. Yet she's out there (laughs) mingling and chatting it up and hanging out with people without a mask on. For some reason, people just don't think it fucking applies to them. But again, we're all each other's consequences. And because of this, it's such a domino effect because now there's four of us who are are no longer able to travel and see our loved ones. Yeah. I remember when you told me that, I'm just like, this makes it so freaking real. Like how this really is that quote, we are all each other's consequences. Like the fact that in theory, like if this hadn't been caught, right? Like if you had caught it and then you had had up with me or someone else or your boyfriend, like that person that we have no connection to whatsoever is the cause of this. And it's I'm not saying it's that person's fault. It's just the way the virus works, but it really does show how interconnected we all are and like how much everyone's actions really affect how we get out of this thing. And do people not see the numbers? We hit a record high this week. That is really fucking scary. Why are people still out and about acting like nothing's happening, acting like, oh, it's back to a normal life? It's not. Stay home, people. I know. It's really tough. Like, I mean, some states have reinstated stay at home Mm -hmm. orders like Austin, I think, is back in quarantine. Right. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I admit, like I went to um, a friend's birthday this weekend at the beach and like we definitely were all wearing masks and like trying to stay like relatively far away. But it's just hard. It's like little things that you just forget as you're with people. And like there were some people in the friend group I just haven't seen for a while, given everything that's happening. And my first instinct was to like greet them with a hug. And I'm like, wait, no, I can't do that. No, don't touch them. No, it's so it's yeah it is very hard and I agree with you though it's like we're not out of the woods on this yet at all no and I I do also want to encourage anybody who is going to see someone or who's just curious to get tested I went to get tested last week actually twice because of this fiasco it's not as scary as you think we used to think that they prod your brain and then you feel like you're drowning it's not that anymore they've totally changed it it's a just a short q-tip it's basically like someone tickling your nose from the inside they swap uh, both of your nostrils and you're in and out in like 10 seconds it's not scary so go get tested even if you have just a little bit of suspicion that you may have it Yeah, I mean, when you said that to me, it definitely made me feel a lot more confident to go get tested because I admit, like, I was debating after the protests Mm -hmm. and I was kind of scared because I've heard just like how bad it was. So my, the way I net it out is I'm like, okay, I'm not going to see anyone for a couple days and see if any symptoms come on and then I'll go get tested. Mm -hmm. And they didn't. So I didn't, but I think knowing your situation and that it really wasn't so bad. And a friend of ours that was at the birthday party I was at 
too had said that she got tested and similar to you, just it wasn't a big deal at all. So, mm-hmm. you know, she mentioned like you just have to like check a, bo- a box that you have like one symptom and you can get tested. So she's like, everyone has a headache, you know. Right. So. Exactly. That's what I checked too. And it's just, I don't know, it's a tricky situation too, because you, there's also a, such a thing as getting tested too early. So you're supposed yeah. to get tested five days after co- that first contact and then 12 days after the first contact. You're supposed to get t- get tested twice. So this is why where my frustration lies is that because of this one incident, I've reset my clock. Now I have to I get know. tested again in a few few more days. It's just really fucking annoying. Anyway, it drives me crazy that people really treat <laughs> COVID like it's a religion, like it. some people believe it and some people don't. Or m- some people just think it's an Easter bunny. Like, no, it's just some people <laughs> made it up. You know, it's like a little kid's story. It's not. It's real and it's killing people. Yeah. I So I had a big week this week. I went to the dentist. Oh, yeah. I you were super excited about going to. It's because your I, dentist is hot. <laughs> right? True. True. But I did. I told you a, that I was like, my dentist is really attractive and he's really fun. I think he's single. Like maybe I should look into dating him. And then I started like looking him up online. And I'm like, he's definitely gay. Oh, like so, a thousand percent. My, I sent you a photo and she's like, uh, yeah, I like my gaydar is terrible, guys. Like terrible. But well, regardless, I have he's never, still hot. He's still an attractive guy. And the like hygienist is super sweet too. Like I was like so excited to see them. I like thought I was gonna give them a hug. But again, I had to refrain <laughs> myself. <laughs> I was like, I've never been this excited. But I was thinking about why I thought about this. I was thinking about getting tested because you mentioned you got tested where my dentist is. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, wait, this wouldn't actually do anything because I'm going today. Right. Like, I need to give it the time. But I was a little bummed today. I got to admit, like, I feel like usually, like, the Pride Parade is something Mm. I look forward to every year. And today, when we record this, it's Sunday. The episode goes out on Tuesday. So you guys might hear a little bit of a lag between what's happening real time. But we try to keep it as close as possible to, you know, give give you guys the day by day of what's happening. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, just thinking about Pride today, like, this is normally the Sunday parade in San Francisco like it's in different cities on different days but it's all in June and yeah it just it, it made me a little teary-eyed I pulled up an old photo of you and I yeah. from Pride from like 2017 or something I remember that photo if if you've been following us on Instagram Julie pulled up this photo and what makes it so memorable is that I just got Mojo Oh, right. I had just gotten right. him like the week before or something. He was really scared of people. And I was like, hey, let's take you to a pride parade where there's thousands <laughs> of people. But yes, I agree. I think there's just like for for us at work, we did a virtual pride parade, but it's not the same because you still want the atmosphere, the energy, like it's just not the same over Zoom or <laughs> Facebook Live. So I, I get it. It's like, I think this week it has really set in for me that the rest of 2020 might just look like this. I don't oh, think Oh, I've this. already accepted that. <laughs> I've definitely already accepted that. But I did find this quote mm-hmm. that I put up on Instagram also. And I loved your story that you put up, UA. So. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was cute. That was really the cute. Runway so walk. We're trying to hit it from all angles, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this quote, actually, that I found, it, the reason why I really liked it is because it, it also, I'm not trying to detract from pride at all, but it kind of made me think about like Black Lives Matter, too, and what's mm. been going on there. But the quote is, gay pride was not born of a need to celebrate being gay. 
but our right to exist without persecution. So instead of wondering why there isn't a straight pride movement, be thankful you don't need one. And it kind of really mm. hit home for me that it was very similar to what's happening with Black Lives Matter. When people say all, all lives, lives matter, matter why right. that's so offensive. It's not saying that white lives don't matter. It's just saying mm -hmm. that like you don't need this. So yeah, I thought there were a lot of interesting parallels between the two. And also just it shows how many different marginalized groups are going through their own struggles and how much we need to celebrate the wins too. And I, yes. I really feel like the last couple of months have been really heavy. Everything's just been very much about the weight of the situation. And with pride, it feels very lighthearted and it feels celebratory. So I think that there's something we can learn here with going forward with any struggles or obstacles that we face is that we learn to celebrate the wins too and, and not just talk about like the, the heavy stuff, which is important, mm -hmm. but we got to celebrate the wins and put on our best crop top and sparkle pants. <laughs> so speaking of celebrating wins, I want to share, I haven't actually shared this with you, but I oh. got over the first virtual date hump that I've been a little scared to go on a virtual date. I must admit <laughs> that... <laughs> oh, okay, it's so a win. You know what? You know, I've, it's a little win. It's a little win. You know, I've been putting off like with another date. I kept mm -hmm. rescheduling. I shared that. And I think part of it was that I was just a little intimidated to do virtual dates in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like, I think personally, I'm, I've am i been told this before. So it's not like I think it, but people are always like, oh, you look better in person than you looked in your photos. Like, I don't think I'm a super mm. photogenic person. So I also feel a little intimidated by video. So I'm always like a little scared. Like, I don't want someone's first impression to be on video like you knows that I'm not like super comfortable in video mm. and I'm trying to get better at it I'm like how do I work my angle better how do I get the lighting better all of that so I was like okay you know what I'm just gonna do it I'm gonna like get over that hump and just see that it's not that bad so I did a video date I grabbed a glass of wine and he was not like the photos at all like not just like total mismatch and like vibe and everything like good and better or not no as good. not okay. better ah, got not it. better okay so again i'm not saying that like you should do this but i have figured out a way to get because another fair of mine is like how do you get off of the date mm -hmm. like in real life you're like oh i have somewhere else to go right. i have friends to meet like how do you get out of it everyone knows you're doing nothing yeah right so i figured it out guys i have a plan for everyone so this actually happened to me not on purpose, but I think it's it's the way to go in the future. So UA also knows I've been having internet problems all week. Oh, and always a good I was, excuse. <laughs> I was on my phone on WhatsApp. I decided to use WhatsApp video because I think setting up a meeting for a date is just too not much fun, for me. Yeah. So put my ring light on, put WhatsApp, my phone in the little ring light holder, and the reception was terrible. Like it was so hard to hear him, oh, just everything. So, so it was on my side. I knew it. But I also knew it just wasn't a match. And I'm like, I could endure this for another 20 minutes or I could get 20 minutes back in my life. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I feel like the connection's not very good. Like, can I like hit you up when I get my internet fixed? So 
For anyone that needs an out, you just know there's no connection, literally, that could be your answer. So just, yeah, fake some sort of technological issue. You, you just, exactly. Or you just freeze. Like, just don't talk. Yes, exactly. And, and then again, wait for them to log off. I'm not saying that you should, like, treat someone poorly, but at the same time, like, if you just know it's not a match, that's also a benefit of videos. Yeah. That you didn't risk your life, you didn't risk their life, you didn't waste their time, like, all of that. Especially this day and age, getting to a date, like, to walk there. Yes. It's going to take, like, hours. So it's like, if I can know that this person is just not going to be the right fit, like, let's just get this done faster. I like that. That is a win we should celebrate. And for, (laughs) I I think I also have to just congratulate Julie for something else, which is very much related and unrelated to this, is I think for anybody who doesn't have a podcast or does have a podcast, you realize at some point that you can hide behind the equipment because it's just your voice. And the minute Julie and I decided to start doing video and to show our face, it kind of put a different spin on what we were putting out there. And I think like for me, I come from a TV background. So it just it didn't even phase me that it was like, oh, yeah, you're on video and there's these angles and this is what you can wear. But I really have to commend Julie because Julie was re- literally like this video thing is totally new for me. And for me to put myself out there to all these people that I've never met, it's very daunting. Stage fright is not just on an actual stage. It's video. And even for all of you who are doing virtual dating, video dating, you know how freaking awkward it is to get on video. So Julie, that's another win for you is overcoming that that awkward (laughs) first time of being on video and just like not staring at yourself the whole time and picking at yourself. So this is a growing moment. It is a growing moment. (laughs) Another growing moment is I, okay, I got so many DMs for the, um, would you rather? So I made up another one. One for you. Okay. <laughs> this is just for you. It's just one question, but I, I think you need to hear this one. Okay. We're going to make a compilation of this one day. Okay. Oh, yeah. A bunch of these questions. <laughs> would you rather, <laughs> would you rather know how long you and your partner will last in a relationship? Or would you rather know how long your partner will live for? Ooh. <laughs> Oh my God, I don't even know. I asked my boyfriend this and he's like, I don't want to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say initially, I thought your other one would be like, would you rather not know? And I was going to say, I'd rather know how long we were going to last just so I can like plan Mm -hmm. accordingly. But that's my inner planner coming out. But with your current question, whoosh, I don't know. (laughs) Um, (sighs) I know it's a little morbid. I guess I would want to know how long we were going to last because I think I would be afraid of the answer. Like, what if they were like the answer on the other side? Like, what if they're like, oh, you're going to die like tomorrow Mm. or like in 30 years? That's just too morbid to me. As much as I'd obviously wanted to work out with a partner, I would rather like, I think knowing that information can give you power Mm -hmm. where knowing when they're going to die doesn't give you any power. Right, because it's out of your control. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Like if you know you're not going to make it past a year, then like you're like, okay, let me either see, is this because we're not addressing things? Is this because we're just fundamentally different and maybe we should actually end it sooner? Mm -hmm. Like I think it would bring up a lot more questions that you could ask to really like start evaluating your partnership. Mm -hmm. But just knowing when they're going to die doesn't really give you anything to work with. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. It reminds me of that black mirror episode uh, where there's an app as soon as you meet someone it shows how long you'll be together 
for, but it oh. ended up being a te- um, basically a social experiment. Interesting. Because the test wasn't right. I, anyway, it, there was a whole other level to it. Interesting. But I do think if you knew how long you were going to last for, there's something you can fight for if you think that person is right for you, right? Right. I love this would you rather. We'll have to hear from people that have heard this yes. now for a couple of weeks and see if it's something we should like make a segment every week or I, I keep you're coming like, nope, up with them. I'm a- <laughs> change it up. You know, there's so many options. But yeah, we did another fun Facebook group happy hour this week. So yeah, keep it rolling. We'll, you know, like there's always something new every week. So (laughs) we're not going to spill all the good stuff. You got to go there for yourself. So you can join the Facebook group at love in the time of Corona or facebook.com slash group slash dateable podcast. And really in the Facebook group, we discuss a lot of the recent episodes. And I always find these discussions really interesting. And this episode in particular, Julie, I bet you anything is going to elicit so much discussion. This man, Matthew Frey, (laughs) wrote so many articles, but he wrote this series of blogs about shitty husbands and how to be a better husband after going through a very traumatic divorce himself. And he'll tell you all about what, what happened during this divorce in this interview. But coming out of this discussion, I really think there are some great takeaways, but also some predictions that we should be making about mm-hmm. marriage, uh, gender roles, about the the idea of a husband in general. Yeah. I think it's all very yeah. much changing. But my prediction for the future of relationships and marriages is that people will go into marriages with a lot more understanding of their past and how that Mm. feeds into their current communication style. People of the past, I'm so sorry, you were thrown into the marriage pool and left to drown because how were you supposed to know how to swim? That You were just thrown into this experiment called a marriage and you just have to make it work somehow. But after this discussion, I really think the prediction for the future is that we will be equipped with a lot more skills and resources and tools to communicate with our partners better because of learning and unlearning from our past. Absolutely. And I think like one of the things that was really interesting about this episode is you might say, oh, well, I'm not near marriage or I'm even close to it. This doesn't relate to me, but it does. And I think what his point was, the people that are have problems, it, it comes too late. Like mm-hmm. they're not prepared for it. And by the time it hits, it's already over. So like, how can we prepare for the challenges? And there was a point like, you think it's like infidelity, you think it's like money issues, like you think it's these certain things, but 90% of the reasons why marriages have their demise is it's over these little everyday things that just keep building up resentment. And I think we've talked about this before, like, are there ways that you can go to couples counseling at the start of a relationship, like preventative counseling? Mm -hmm. Are we going to have a world where people learn this stuff in school, like how to communicate better? Because we also talk in the episode, this is beyond just romantic relationships. It's having any sort of relationships. If any of you have lived with a roommate before, you've probably run into very similar things that really can come out years into a marriage. So I think my prediction is that it's just going to become a lot more socially acceptable to be doing this stuff in advance mm-hmm. and not when there's an issue. But this is just going to get baked into our society that these are things that we need to learn and address and do from day one and not just when shit hits the fan. And uh, I 
completely agree with that. I, to, in order to get there, starting today, everyone listening right now, you need to start changing your narrative about marriage in your head right now. Yes. Unlearn what the media has told you, which is after marriage, you stop having sex and she becomes a nag and he becomes a kid. After marriage, everything goes downhill. And then once you get married, your life is done and you your husband will cheat on you or you'll complain about your husband or like get over it, you know, because these were all storylines that sold Hollywood movies for so many years. And now we need to stop consuming that because that's right. not the narrative that will make any marriage a successful marriage. So let's the buck stop, stops with us with that narrative. Capiche? Capiche. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing though is gender roles. Like you touched on this and this is fascinating to me because I think a lot has changed and our guest today, he is in his 40s. So I think a lot has shifted of people that are getting married now in their 30s or their 20s. There's just been a lot of changes with gender roles overall that show up from dating all the way into marriage. That being said, though, I have a lot of friends, and I don't know, UA, if you have this too, is when it was just the two of them, it felt very equal. Yes. But then once children have come in, mm -hmm. they have bared the invisible load and like mm -hmm. they have taken on more work. And I think the men, their husbands have shown up greatly in the sense that they're doing a lot more proactively than like, our dads and like our parents, like of our generation, it was very much like the mom owns this, the woman does it, but they still say that it's not a hundred, it's not 50, 50. So I think that stuff has a lot of ways to still go. And I do think it will get there. Like, I think we are active, like we've been working on what it means to be a woman for the last like decade, right? So decade plus, mm -hmm. and I think it's time to focus on the man in our guest today, Matthew, like he says that like him growing up is like a football player. He just was never taught this stuff. Mm. So I think it, it does come back to the education and the preventative that I was just talking about, but it's getting both partners there and not being like, oh, this is a woman's thing to worry about. And that... Another very good point because, again, we need to change the narrative because I think this society, we reward transformation quite a bit or we, re we reward anything that's anti-stereotypical. So we reward the stay-at-home dad. We reward the drug addict who is now clean. We reward the criminal who has come out of parole and has a job. But we don't reward the person who has been a good person their entire life or the stay-at-home mom who has worked her ass off her entire life. Right. And that's where the, for me, where the chip on my shoulder would come from is like, what about the women who are just <laughs> right. doing the job because they're doing the job? They're not even right. looking for recognition. And you're recognizing that one single like stay-at-home dad for oh my goodness, what a martyr he is. So again, we got to realize, yes, we recognize great behavior. We also got to recognize where people are working hard without that recognition. Well, yeah, there's so much to talk about, but we got a whole episode to do it. Thank goodness. So I guess a couple of announcements and then we'll get into it. I think we talked about the Facebook group. Please join. Like we've been stressing this, but it's been a really great community. I think also Instagram, like that has been probably like our most engaged social channel outside of the Facebook group. Um, we alluded to some of the fun things we posted. 
UA kills it with the stories. There's always some really interesting stories and fun stuff that you can just learn about dating and modern relationships and all that outside of the podcast that we try to highlight on Instagram too. Mm-hmm. And tell your friend, tell your friend, come on, we want to make this a party. It's like one of those um, BYO friend parties to join a dateable. Get everybody in on this. So I heard this on another podcast and I wanted to bring it up because I think it's true. It's like this day and age, everyone has a podcast. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when you tell your friend like, oh, check out this podcast, they're like, okay, whatever. So I think it's like really giving them a taste of what they're going to get. Maybe it's talking about a recent episode that would be relevant to them, or it's just tagging them on our Instagram and they can kind of see what we're all about. We'll take it from there. So however you want to do it, I think one of the gifts of this time when we're all just like sorting through our shit is listening to podcasts, letting someone kind of, you know, be there when you need a timeout. Sometimes for me, I listen to other podcasts when I'm just like, okay, I can't be looking at a screen anymore. I'm just going to lay down on my couch. I don't even want to watch TV. I'm mm-hmm. just going to lay down, put on like Amazon Alexa and just like listen to podcasts. So yeah, let us let us help you out. And if you want a good pitch, this is what I said at the beginning of the episode. We're not a dating podcast anymore. We are we are striving to get to the bottom of why people behave the way they do. It's like the stuff that keeps you up at night, the waiting by your phone, the waiting for answers, the trying to read each other's mind. That's what we're trying to solve here because th- these are not some mysterious behavior that came out of nowhere. There's a reason and there's a reason, a very good reason for why people behave the way they do. So that's how you can pitch us. Yeah, plus- Plus, we've changed lives. I mean, there's been a lot of guests that <laughs> are just my like life. in a totally different place that they were when they were guests because of us, obviously. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, enough about us. I do want to get to our sponsor. Thank you so much for making us happen. This is another great book by Kensington. Um, a few, few weeks ago, we introduced you to a romantic thriller. This week, we have a new book to recommend. It's called Crushing It by Lorelai Parker. This exciting new romantic comedy combines humor, second chance, and a good old-fashioned love triangle in a thoroughly relatable tale about a woman blossoming into her own and learning the key to love can only be found by first loving oneself. Sounds familiar. (laughs) Wait, wait, you have to listen to to the storyline, Julie, because you'll really relate. To pitch her new role-playing game at a European conference, developer Sierra Reed needs to overcome her terror of, pu- of public speaking. She competes in a local bar's diary slam, retelling old journal entries about her being obsessed with a college crush named Tristan Spencer. And then the moderator of this slam says, next up, Tristan Spencer. So Sierra wow. is mortified, but Tristan is flattered. So caught up in memories of her decade-old obsession as they reconnect. Uh, But I won't give too much away because it is a love triangle. There is someone else involved, and she needs to decide who's really in it for love. Check that book out, Crushing It by Lorelai Parker. So you can read that book and check out many more just like it at kensingtonbooks.com. Shall we learn about shitty husbands, Julie? Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Matthew Frey, take it away. I have to give everyone this backstory because it is something that has changed my relationship. So I think it's important to give this backstory. The guest we have on today wrote a a blog article called She Divorced Me Because I Left Dishes by the Sink. Before, 
I have ever met Matthew Frey or even had him as a guest on our show. My current boyfriend's ex-wife posted this article about three months after we started dating. So I was like, damn, okay. <laughs> I, I got to read this if the ex-wife is posting this. And um, I won't go into the details of why this article really changed my life and my relationship, but I do want to talk about how interesting it is to see from a, an outsider's perspective of other people's relationships sometimes. So I'll leave it at that. But let me just give a quick intro to Matt Frey. He is currently living just outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He's been there for 14 years, born in Iowa. His parents divorced just before his fifth birthday, and he moved with his mom to a small town in Ohio. He's 41 years old, and he's divorced. And he wrote a very popular blog post in addition to this one that went viral called An Open Letter to Shitty Husbands. He's also known as a relationship coach that works with husbands on how to avoid divorce and is also an author for the Good Men Project. Hey, Matt, how are you? Hey, Matthew. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. That was funny. That was a lot. Yeah. I mean, the the, the fact that, because Julie also found you separately from yes. when, uh, when this article was posted. And when she mentioned your name, I was like, fuck, yes, we need him on so bad. I need him. And you so, know, we're, we're going to hear all about from Matthew, but you know, we're coming back to how this changed your own relationship, UA. I'm not letting you off the hook on that one fully. For sure. But I have to say, when I just read the title of the article, I literally went to a sink and I was like, how many dishes are in the sink right now? And there was a shit ton. And I was like, is this going to be the ultimate demise of our relationship? But that's not really the case. But before we get to, I'm sure you're all wondering, like, is this article really about dishes? It's not, obviously. But I want to go back a little bit and ask Matt, were you a shitty husband? Would you have considered yourself a shitty husband? Uh, no, certainly not at the time. I think that's the really dangerous part about this. When I wrote an open letter to Shitty Husband, and there's like right, 14 sort of volumes of that, I really did think about a lot of this stuff in the context of right and wrong, good and bad, asshole versus good guy. 18 months in the relationship coaching business has really modified the way that I come at this. Certainly, there are people with ugly intentions doing ugly things out there that are damaging relationships. But it, I think it really is true that a lot of really decent people do these things in their blind spots. And it's not so much that they're doing a bad thing. It's that they're they're blind to what's happening while they're not paying attention. Mm -hmm. And then maybe doing a piss poor job of validating uh, the pains that are trying to be communicated after the fact. So what was your story? Like what happened in your own relationship that kind of spawned all this? I just thought I was a nice guy, right? And I, and I talked to a lot of men about this. Um, I, I talked to them and I said, let me guess. You're a pretty likable guy and, and, and you had a really you know, decent sort of like upbringing and school and with your family and, and you've got a lot of positive feedback. You probably got pretty good grades. You probably succeeded in all of your endeavors. And right, you're successful at work. And when you meet people, most people like you. Most people have good things to say about you. And the one person in your entire life who complains about you, who suggests you have some potential character defects or that you're causing harm is the one person you promise to love mm. and live with and sacrifice for all the days of your life. And so like statistically speaking, she's like the anomaly, right? It's so easy to dismiss this as like the weird thing that's not like the rest. Hmm. You start defending yourself and doing the groupthink thing with all the people that shower you with praise. That was me. Not that there's a bunch of people like with, with feelings of adoration for me, but I had really positive relationships. Right. It did mm -hmm. not make sense that I could be mean, that I could like hurt 
that I could, you know, cause problems like that. Uh, I had a real problem with sort of like empathy and and what words mean. Um, I'm the same guy. I'm just paying attention to how the things I do or don't do affect other people in a way that I did not before. And I think about very specifically the way I'm willing to engage and somebody wants to talk to me about that. That's honestly the difference. Nothing changed other than that. Oh, in your article, you talk about this golf tournament that was kind of like the demise. Can you go into that a little more? It wasn't it, it so right. It wasn't like something specific. She wasn't like, hey, you want to watch the Masters and it's gorgeous outside. And I think we should go out as a family. So you're a shit person and I want to end the marriage now. I just pulled that as a not unlike the dish by the sink as an example in which I chose other things over my wife and family. So that's different, right? Mm. That's not me um, invalidating her. That's not me defending myself necessarily, but it is me choosing myself over her. That's a story where it's like, if I knew then what I know now, like who's sitting on the couch watching the masters, if, if he or she understands that's the difference between family, no family, marriage, no marriage. Mm. But on that day, in my blind spots and selfishness, I was like, I'm going to watch golf, piss off, I don't care what you think. Mm. And that's gross when I, when I think about it now. How long were you married for? We were together 13 years, married for nine of them. Um, so not ridiculously long, but, but sort of long enough. Yeah. How long ago was the divorce? It's about seven years now. Wow, seven years. Yeah, I know. Time flies. Yeah, um, the, the open letter to shitty husbands was written in 2013. And still kind of has legs out there. But I feel a little bit bad about it because that's not how I want to approach men. Seven years later, hey, shitty husband, you suck. <laughs> Listen to my wise divorce self is not the way. But right. when, when did you become this wise divorce self? When did you come to all these self-realizations? Really slowly. So what happened was wife left. April 1st, 2013, very specifically. Wow. What time? Remember? (laughs) (laughs) 3.45 p.m. 3.46, okay? (laughs) I I honestly don't remember, but shortly after work, probably, it was just all very bad. And then, you know, the marriage like legally ended, you know, a few months later. Mm -hmm. But that was a really rough time. And I sort of, you know, I characterize it as like breaking. I, I wasn't the same guy anymore. I'd never felt that bad. And it was my first taste of, a human being can carry around a lot of like pain and damage inside while you're busy not noticing, mm. right? And so like I'm going to work and the, my, my world's ended and everybody else is carrying around, carrying mm-hmm. um, on, you know, business as usual. And, and I'm like, you know, don't, you know, like the world ended, like how can you laugh and act like everything's okay? That was like the moment and it happened slowly when I sort of realized they'd put my wife in that same position, right? She's carrying around like all these pains and just feelings of like neglect and abandonment. They're never being validated and they're, and they're invisible like this whole time. So it was really selfish though, right? How did I get to be like wise divorce guy? Selfish. I was so afraid to hurt that bad again. I was so afraid to subject other people, my son. I just didn't ever want anything like that to happen again. So I had to understand it. And so I just, I wrote it, right? I, I blogged the like journey of self-discovery and mm-hmm. it, it worked. Like, I mean... I mean, I'm saying people aren't allowed to take exception to the things I think and feel. For me, it worked. And even if it's not for everyone, there's a critical mass of people that are like, this is like what I need a straight man to say to me, mm-hmm. you know, like, right? Like, validate my experiences. Let's hold that thought for a second. We'll get right back to it. 
This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the High Love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATEABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to ViaHemp.com and use the code DATEABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's ViaHemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from ViaHemp. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. <laughs> Wait, wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? And maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How many volumes do you have now of this open letter to shitty? I haven't written them for a long time. I can't remember when the last one was, but there are 14 sort of like individual like chapters in that. So how did you evolve the most from chapter like chapter one to 14? All right. So I was really whiny and emo at the beginning, right? <laughs> I'm like, woe is me. My wife left me. I'm pathetic. And now, you know, some people might be like, you're, you're still those things. <laughs> but, right? Maybe. Maybe. But I, but I don't think so. I, I, I used to associate conversations about emotional intelligence and empathy and th- these things related to a relationship health, right? I was like guy who played football, right? And mm-hmm. I was like that guy. This is not the stuff we talk about. Right. right in the locker room or out with their friends there's this sort of like weird borderline sexist macho component underneath some of these conversations um and i think at least in the context of men and heterosexual relationships in the united states who grew up in environments mm-hmm. like me i don't know what that number is but it's several million our inability to sort of deal with these things are a real problem i'm just not afraid of it anymore mm. i mean i'm not i'm not going to be ashamed of talking about things that impact everybody. So did you and your wife just, did you ever have any conversations along the way? Or was it just like out of nowhere, kind of all these like little things started to really build resentment. And that's when she called for the divorce. We had a million conversations along the way. And the lion's share of my coaching work is about 
navigating those conversations more effectively so that you're not stuck in this like toxic cycle. I call it the same fight, like capital T S F like the same fight. And it just Mm. happens over and over again, no matter how like different the topic is, it's like the same fight, right. And the same like sort of cycle and it's gross and it ends people all of the time, but it ends them really slowly. So like people in year one of their relationship don't know this is the fight that'll end them in year seven, year eight, year nine. Mm. I think it's really tragic. So if I may, you stop me anytime you're like, Matt, you don't get to dictate what we talk about here. <laughs> no, um, keep going. <laughs> keep going, I please. To, I want you to know how I think about this. It's, it's so important to me. Uh, here is sort of like what happened as I was like working on myself and thinking through all of this. Statistically speaking, in the United States, people 18 years of age and older fall into one of three camps. They are married, they were married, or they intend to get married. So 95 out of 100 people, which in the math way is everybody, right? It's like statistically Mm -hmm. everybody, you round up to 100 when you get to 95. Statistically, everybody is impacted by marriage or relationships that more or less mere marriage. So everybody's going to do this or live like this, you know, short of like Tibetan monks and, you know, people who take vows of celibacy and things like that. The 5%, yes. You get it. And people don't know that a routine conversation about a dish by the sink, about watching the masters on a Sunday versus going out and taking a hike in the national park is going to honestly be on the list of things that ends your marriage. Right. Divorce is a really rough go for a lot of people. And when I put all that together, when I think about all of the people who are really good and really trying and they enter this thing sort of like intentionally and voluntarily, and they don't even know, they don't even have the list of like, hey, here's the shit to worry about because it's going to end you. Mm-hmm. Like they don't have a chance. That terrifies me for them and their children. And that's why I do this now, honestly. Well, you think of the big stuff like infidelity or abuse yeah. or like money. Like you don't think of what you just said. Exactly. It's exactly. I call them the, the, the major marriage crimes. The major marriage crimes are all the red flags. Like I'm going to go out drinking and I'm going to come back and I'm going to hit you and call you names and the gamble our money away. Nobody would tolerate that. That's insane. This, the danger is in the like sneaky abuse, right? Mm. The me. I do it with a smile on my face and I don't even know I'm doing it. When I tell you every time you come to me and you say, hey, Matt, a thing hurt? Well, all right, here's what I tell every client. Your wife, your partner comes to you. And I have some female clients too, by the way. This isn't exclusively a man problem. Mm-hmm. It just usually is, <laughs> respectfully to men. And, and, I, and I don't like to blame men. I like to blame me. So let me talk about it that way. My wife would come to me and here's the three ways I always responded. Hey, Matt, a bad thing happened. I feel shitty about it. And one of the three ways I respond is, no, it didn't. Like, that's not how it happened at all. Here's what happened. The second way I would respond is, oh, that happened. But why are you acting that way about it? That doesn't make sense at all. Mm -hmm. Definitely overreacting. Uh, The third way is I would like take in the information and say, well, sure, but let me explain why. And then I'd go into some like a brilliant analysis of why it made so much sense for me to do it. Um, so observation number one, your feelings never matter ever, no matter what, right? Um, that's the common denominator and that's the thing that's going to end uh, a culture of safety and trust in your relationship and you're done. That goes away and you don't believe your partner's going to come around on it. You're done. But the thing that like really got me about that last one, by the way, good people can do this. Like a really solid high character human being can try to set the record straight, can try to say, Hey, I don't, think you should feel that bad about it. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And a really good human can explain why they like did something intentionally. This is not this gross asshole behavior. 
But when we defend it by trying to explain why we did it, we also mathematically promise we're going to do it again. Not only did your feelings not matter, but I just justified it. And I just basically said (laughs) in a scenario, I'm doing this again. And how is a spouse who feels shit on every day and unseen and invisible and unloved and all the things, like how is she supposed to like make that choice or he, if if it's that scenario, make the choice to like choose that over and over and over again at some point a person has to choose between their their wellness and and that and that's what i made my wife do she had to choose between giving up half of our son's childhood he was four she had to sacrifice seven years of his life as a loving adoring mother or like live with me Mm -hmm. when i realized that was the position i put her in and she chose to sacrifice seven years of her son's life really put it in perspective for me. Let's go back to your examples of how you can respond to your partner because I do want to bring back what I spoke about in the beginning with leaving (laughs) the dishes in the sink. Let's use that example (laughs) and why it could be detrimental to a relationship. Let's just peel back the layers of the dishes in the sink. So there there are a couple ways you can deal with a situation as you say to her, no, I don't want to, or you can say, why is that a big deal? We can just throw in the dishwasher, or you can say, why don't you do it? Or something, you know, something along the lines of that. And a surface level, it doesn't seem like a very big deal. But in your article, you talk about it's not the, the dish, it's not the act of leaving the dishes in the sink. It's the fact that leaving the dishes in the sink is so important to her that yeah. you're ignoring her needs and her feelings. It's not not about the dishes. Right. That's exactly right. It's the conversation about what is allowed to matter to another human being. I myself and, 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 and a lot of people think their opinion about what matters to another person should should have merit, like in the mm-hmm. world. Like in this scenario, I promise you, I'm not trying to not answer this question. <laughs> I, I feel like it's all the same like conversation. The three ways we respond to a person who comes to us and says, hey, this shit thing's going on and I don't feel good about it. The thing that starts that like cycle, that response pattern, is that we're judging whether we think you should or should not feel as you do. Mm-hmm. The very first mental action we're taking mm-hmm. is evaluating whether it's okay for you to think or feel a thing. Mm-hmm. And that is why I'm like, guys, I'm like, you have to notice that you're doing this. I always have this book next to me when I'm talking to people. It's a uh, James Clear's oh, yeah. Atomic Habits. Oh, yeah. Has nothing has nothing to do with relationships, but I try to make like everything about relationships when I come across like cool ideas. Yeah, us too. And <laughs> I right, I started to I started to like apply like this sort of idea of neuroscience to this. I'm like, can you notice yourself judging your partner's like feelings mm. and trying to make some sort of judgment about it? Can you agree it's not useful? And then can you interrupt that process and instead of choosing this like judgment evaluation process, can you instead choose like validation and like tr- curiosity? How about if you don't get it, you seek to understand instead of being a dick about mm. it? So I had this happen actually to me, not in a romantic sense. Um, when I had lived with my past roommate for five years, like we lived together for a very long time. So it was almost like we were in a relationship living together, right? And I admit that I was that person that left dishes in the sink and it really pissed her off. 
really mm. pissed her off. And I think for a long time, I didn't one, I, I was totally guilty of what you just said, even as a woman. Like, I was like, who cares? It's the dishes. Like, who cares? Right. And I think where her anger came, finally, we were able to like really sit down and talk about it was that it felt like it wasn't just the dishes. It was that she felt like I didn't pull my weight around the home in general. So it was like one more little thing. And mm. it's like, I'm doing all this stuff, like I'm cleaning the bathroom and I'm doing all this. You can't put this one dish away. Like it kind of like minimizes everything else that they're doing. And once she said it, I totally felt empathy for it. So I think it's a double edge because like I'm agreeing with you. Like I think men, women, whoever should be empathetic and understand it. But also it's the way it's communicated too, because the way she talked to me made me not want to do the dishes because right. it it's was a like build up. Like she, she exploded probably at you. Well, all and this the resentment. way she talked to me, like she mm. actually worked with like special needs children and the way she talked to me oh. felt like she was addressing her <laughs> students. I'm not, I'm like saying that in a nice way, but that's how it felt. Like it was very demoralizing and demeaning and it literally made me want to do the opposite. So I think yeah. that, yeah, like I think it's a, it's, it's both parties here. I'm not faulting your wife mm -hmm. at all. I don't know your wife, but I think it's more of like, how do you have this conversation that really gets to the root of it? So it's really not about the dishes at the end of the day. Yeah. We can't put all the onus on the perpetrator. <laughs> like we right. also, two people have to communicate. So how should this news be delivered or this, these needs? Let's take a moment right now and acknowledge that this episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. You've all heard me talk about this game before. It kept popping up on best of lists of games to download, especially during this time of social distancing. And I'm so glad I did. It's free to download and it basically takes you through a series of challenging puzzles that are fun, but also engage your brain. That's really important. I like that it's a casual game that I can play during any amount of downtime I have. And it features these really cute bug characters in the game that just make me smile every time I see them. I'm now on level 185 and there are now 3,000 levels on Best Fiends. So I have a lot of catching up to do. I love that they update the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best beans. Now back to the show. How should this news be delivered or this, these needs? That's funny. And so I have a lot of female clients, right, who are more or less the equivalent of my wife in my marriage, right? And they're calling and they're like, how do I do this? I actually had this conversation like two hours ago. And so one of the first things I always talk about is this idea of disassociating character from it. Can we start there? Can we agree that if he's a bad guy, a fundamentally bad human being, that it does not make sense for you to be in that relationship. Like you just shouldn't. If he is or she is is out to get you and sabotage right. like you mm. and your life, like have values and boundaries and, and protect yourself. Like you deserve that. So, you know, know your worth. After we establish that he's not doing that, <laughs> right? He's not like intentionally waking up and saying, I'm going to like try to shit all over my wife's life today, and make our marriage horrible. Then it's, can we agree that the same fight that you have every single day has never worked yet? Like, can we agree that in the context of data trends, doing the same thing isn't going to like, like play at all. Mm. So I'm always encouraging a slightly modified like version of communication where we're emphasizing the fact that we don't believe you are doing this 
to cause the pain that I feel. I am in the spirit of cooperation trying to just let you know that this thing you're doing that you do not perceive to be harmful or painful, I experience as harmful and painful. And then, right, and then we have this like problem with it. It's really, really hard to do when you're pissed. You know, like who the hell am I to like start telling people how they should behave? I was on a podcast with like a, a lady who's a marriage counselor and she told me that she tells her clients not to, not to talk about anything they perceive to be important if their like emotions are registering at a three or above on the like zero to 10 scale. <laughs> and she talks about like, like the, the chemical neuroscience of that. And you know, your brain starts, you get a bunch of like fight or flight responses and things mm -hmm. like that. And you're shittier versions of yourselves than you, than you otherwise could be. And she's like, if you can have like a pact, like a code to just not go there, mm. you know, or what if you're always both trying to keep it at three or less? I mean, imagine like, if you're mindfully trying to always keep like everyone's emotions at this like nice, comfortable place and both are actively participating in that, nobody's ever inciting anything. And you're constantly seeing somebody that's like looking out for your best interest instead of what always happens. <laughs> right. Which is hmm. I think you said something real two things that I think are really interesting. One is that this person has your best intentions, like you've separated the people that don't, right? And I remember there was this dating coach, Evan Mark Katz, that I found like when I was like in the thick of dating, when I was like in my like mid twenties and just totally clueless to be completely transparent. And I remember like one of the things that was really set me apart was like, he was like, if he's your boyfriend or he's your husband or whatever, he's not out there to get you and you need mm -hmm. to remember that. So I think that's like step one for people that are in this situation in the receiving it. I'm not going to say that the people that are doing things should not change as well, but that's one way that you can kind of interpret things different. And I love that you hit that point also. But then the other side that I heard from someone was like, if you can start conversations with like, like, I love you and this is what's happening or like something positive. So when you're having it, it doesn't feel like an attack to someone. It's more of just like we're in this together and I want to share why this is hurting me and it's not that I want to abandon you in the relationship I just want to work to make it better that's at least my thoughts I try really hard to not be in the business of in, like asking wives to do things differently mm. when they're hmm. in this dynamic this classic sort of like what I perceive to be the most common like uncomfortable marriage where this dynamics at play and the guy is sort of this constant invalidator and, and, and the wife is doing the, you know, the invisible load thing that you, you talked about earlier. I really appreciate you sharing that story, by the way. That was such a great demonstration of how this is not exclusively this like man, woman thing. This isn't this exclusively like heterosexual marriage thing. These dynamics exist in lots and lots of relationships. Conversations we're having right now apply to things much bigger than me going on socially in the world right now, right? You can, you can apply all of these same ideas about other people's experiences to, to much more than just romantic relationships. But okay, so the, the other side I want to bring into this is um, example with an ex that I've had where all he wanted to do was avoid conflict and appease me. So I would say, can you please put the dishes away? Can you please 
take out the garbage. Can you please do this? And he would say, yes, 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 and keep doing it. But he would also keep leaving the dishes in the sink or keep the garbage out. But every time I asked him to do it, he would do it. So then what this ended up building was a lot of annoyance from my side because I'm like, yes, you yes, you do it, but you keep doing the same thing. And to him, it built up so much resentment because it reminded me of what you wrote in your article was about me being his mother. I felt right. like I was mothering him and he felt like I was his mother telling him to do his chores. So this is like the other the other side of the spectrum is like a couple trying to avoid conflict. How do they really communicate their needs to each other and not just appease each other? Well, it's one person accepting responsibility for not passively letting all of life management fall to the other, right? The the mental load, the invisible load, emotional labor, usually in in male female relationships that's showing up as wife mother being the administrator of all things in the house, right? Large and small. It's it's remembering to get the birthday present for their nephew, David, and like, you know, planning social events. And I, I don't even have to like go through the list. Everybody just knows what that looks like. And it's so common for wives and mothers to be sort of stuck doing that. Right. The husband isn't doing anything wrong. He's not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just like I'm not causing harm in like the race relations conversation, right? I'm not out there doing anything bad, but maybe I need to take a hard look at how my inaction is like participating Mm -hmm. in something that's maybe not okay for people. That's the same conversation in our relationships. How is your Mm. lack of participation harming other people? And I, I, I don't think it's like a super nuanced idea. There's very real things to manage, right? In life. And UA talked about this. There's so much more when you have a marriage and a couple of kids. So, right. So here's what mom ends up doing. She's now got to like manage life for everybody, for herself. And right. Maybe she's like a VP, like at an office somewhere. Right. right. She's got all this shit she's got to do there and all these things she got to manage. She's got to come home. She's got to take care of like, you know, Joey and Sally and all their like dentist appointments and like homework and things like that. You know, make sure like dinner is Mm -hmm. at least managed if she's not like making it herself. She's usually the one that's like, think of it and make sure like somebody's going to the store, even if she's not doing it herself in that dynamic. So I I wrote, I wrote an article once called, she feels like your mom and doesn't want to bang. (laughs) And it's because right after years of that, I am doing this for my, my son, Joey and my daughter, Uh Sally and my husband, right? The list of shit I do every day is identical from my children to my partner. And the children don't bother me because I knew what I was signing up for. But this person promised to love and honor me and support me all the days of my life. Yet he's absolutely requires the same amount of care that my children do. Mm -hmm, And because it's super healthy for adults to not want to, you know, sleep with children. (laughs) It makes sense. It makes sense that you wouldn't want to sleep with somebody who is like in that role and like making you feel that way. Yeah. Um, Right. I mean, I, and I get it. And, that, and listen, that was me. I'm just busy, like derpy derping around, mm-hmm. you know, playing video games and online poker and all the things and, and then defending myself for like, you know, being like nice and shit. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Nobody well, cares. I, I abandon you to like be the only adult, <sighs> and the only person actively working on the marriage. No wonder you're mm. pissed. No wonder 
you don't think I'm like attractive. Right. Well, I think like what UA you brought up about having to ask someone all the time, that starts to really wane on you also. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, am I really asking them to do this simple thing one more time and it's not following through? And why do I have to ask? Like, why can't they just do it? I think that's like, it builds up resentment. But I think what I was trying to say earlier of like taking ownership of yourself, and I totally agree with you, Matthew, that it should not fall on the woman or whoever is that person. I agree with you. I think where I was coming from with that is that in the end of things, the only person you can control is yourself, right? In some ways. Like, this is great. All of this is fantastic. But what if like your husband or significant other is just not thinking this way? Like, how do you even like get them to be aware of this? Because I agree, like, I don't want to be the person that has to start everything like, I love you, but or I have to ask you to do stuff like that's going to build resentment. Mm-hmm. But like, what other options do we have if we're in a situation where someone's doing this? What if I told you that my wife had to end our family and our marriage for me to get it? What if I told you that almost everybody I talk to has to be on the verge of divorce or have really uncomfortable conversations where like that's communicated, right? Like, I'm going to break up with you. I'm going to divorce you. I'm not sure I love you anymore. Like it almost has to get there for a blind guy to join that conversation, there mm. has to be something that mm. rises to the level of triggering his holy shit, this matters. The fight or I flight can't mode. stand that that's true. But, and, and I'm not even saying yeah. that it is. I don't claim to be an expert on any of this stuff. That is my observation for seven years is that there are not an enormous amount of guys who are going to do this like cycle of defensiveness and being like, really, the dish? That will just sort of like evolve into this emotionally intelligent person who gives a shit about it. I've not seen that play out in like Mm. this organic way. Once in a while, I get lucky and I get some super flattering like email or blog comment. It's like, oh my God, I see it. Thank you for like telling the story Um, because this like validates like or or I should say this reinforces things my wife said. But imagine that. Imagine being that wife. I tell you this shit for five years, 10 years. Some divorced guy (laughs) on the internet says it and now you're listening. (laughs) Well, I think actually, because I think we're my point of like starting it of I love you. And like, I admit I have not been in a long term relationship of like 10 years plus, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I haven't been there myself. Mm. I think that tactic might work at the beginning. And then after a certain amount of time, like, I agree with you, maybe the draft, like, it can't just be that forever, because that's like the resentment's going to build. So I hope someone at least listening, because I think a lot of our listeners aren't there yet. Like, we do have some people that are married, that are in relationships that they might be like, okay, yeah, this is a reality of mine. But I think why we want to do this episode with you is like, how do we reach people that aren't in that situation so they're aware of this? Like, what steps can people take now if they're not in the thick of it? I'm so glad that you're talking about that, right? That's the end game here. Like, you know, if we're going to like, I want to say fix it, but if we're going to address this, Young people have to have conversations, and I'm talking like right these school age kids. Can we we teach them about the French and Indian War and geometry and you know like different kinds of geologic rock formations? And we don't teach them about the things that will break them if it goes bad when they're adults. Mm -hmm. And 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 I don't understand why this is like a conversation that's missed just kind of through the school years and just in our general family lives. But I, I haven't met anybody that like yeah I grew up and we talked about this kind of thing all the time. Please. 
please identify your core values and your boundaries and do not let people fuck with you. Like, don't let nice dudes fuck with you because they seem nice and your parents like them and, right, they have a job or whatever. Make sure when you speak about the things that you value and matter to you, if you're not getting communication or action that demonstrates that you are respected and seen, it will equal a really shit life. If you end up intertwining, right, mm. married or otherwise, if you start pulling your resources and live in the same house and just share lives, it, it poisons it and it does it so slowly that don't notice until you've spent five, 10, 15 years, right, in this thing that just got poisoned like really, really, really slowly. That's what's so terrifying to me about it. And, and the people causing the harm in air quotes, honestly, not all of them know. Like, right, if you, if you had like a little like magical fairy and they were like, hey, this is harmful, they'd be like, oh, well, hell, I'll choose a different thing. But when you try to say that's harmful, they're right. like, no, it's not, right? It's a dish. It's a dish. Mm-hmm. Right. I think it's just about, so much of this is about changing the narrative around marriage. And we've talked about this in previous episodes too, is that somehow it's acceptable to say, for my girlfriends to say, oh, I have two kids and one big kid, because then they include their husband in that story. And everyone laughs about it. We're like, ah, oh, your husband's a big kid. Or the the idea of, oh, once you get married, your wife becomes your mother. And everyone laughs about it. Ah, oh, isn't, isn't that a fun thing? And we just kind of accept this narrative because it's portrayed in media. Also, it's what we've seen in our parents as well. And for anybody who's not in a relationship or thinking about getting into a relationship, I think we all just need to sit up with ourselves and just change what you perceive marriage to be. And it, we can't just accept what other people have told us marriage is to be. Because when you do that, you just kind of accept the behaviors and self-fulfilling prophecy. It just keeps perpetuating. So we got to just redefine. And what you're saying, Matt, is like, redefine your values and what you expect from a marriage and make sure that it's what you want and not what you think society is telling you it should be. Yeah, it has to happen. I think a lot of people get married because exactly what you said. They they just grow up and they see it and everybody around them is getting married. And, you know, maybe they feel like their biological clock's ticking, so to speak, or, you know, all my friends and cousins and all these things. And, right, my parents are saying, when are you going to have babies? I want to be a grandparent. There's a million different versions of that story. And maybe you're just dating for three years mm-hmm. and it feels really bad, but you're like afraid to start over again, right? It's like, well, I've got all this time invested. I'm not going to find anybody mm-hmm. better. You know what? You might not find anybody better. That's not what I'm talking about. This is not about trading up. It's not about replacing human beings. Mm-hmm. It's a, everybody has the same problems. Like everybody has the same like weaknesses, so to speak, but who's going to choose to like show up for you? And it's, it's really, really important. Mm, I'm still right. the same guy that leaves dishes by the sink, but I'm not going to disrespect you if you tell me it hurts you now. And I'm sure as hell not going to leave a dish by the sink if I understand that you perceive that to be a sign of disrespect in our relationship. Right. How do you start having these conversations like early on? Because it's like, I I think a lot of it does stem from gender roles, right? It's like, there's a Mm. lot that was expected of women that men didn't. Like, I think like the stuff that you said is in a way stereotypical. It's like, I won't do the dishes or I'll watch sports. Like that is very stereotypical gender roles. And we are now in a society where we don't want that, right? We want more equality. Quality. We don't want that to happen. But how do you even like get to a place where one person like recognizes that they're not carrying the load? Like, how do we like get there to begin with? 
in the context of this super stereotypical conversation that is not entirely fair to 100% of the people where, right, where it's like men passively letting these things fall to women, you know, the invisible load, emotional labor, this, this idea of validating people's feelings and having healthy communication. These are like classic common symptoms that are showing up in heterosexual relationships over and over and over again. I hate that the onus sort of falls on women in this situation, but I'm afraid that it might in the context of dating. And so let me ask you, if you don't mind, when you're sitting at that dinner table on that first date or wherever, or, or second or third, you know, you're right. When is it okay to, when, when do you feel safe bringing up big ideas that hint at this possibility of like, are you afraid to say it because you don't want to like communicate to the guy that you're thinking about long-term because maybe it'll scare him off and, and you want him to like you. But there's all kinds of reasons I'm afraid to like be honest when I want somebody to like me on the other side of that table, right? I've embraced this idea of this is all the shit that's wrong with me. This is everything that sucks about me. I want you to understand it because A, I'm self-aware and B, I want you to get it. I, I want relationships to fail fast if they're going to fail fast. I think that's the way, honestly. Mm. So have that conversation really early of just like, this is what I'm looking for. Sell me on the alternative, yeah. right? What's the argument for the one that drags out two years and ends miserable? We all do that. Like, I mean, I did it. I'm again, 41 now. I, but, you know, I've had that like scenario play out, right? Where it's like, you know, like a year or two and then you're like, eh. I just wish people would, it's so hard. And that's so hard to say that to somebody on the front end of marriage. It's really easy for me to sit here where I got to split time 50-50 and not see my son half the time. And I don't like that. Where I have to feel like regret and, and, and you know, some residual pain. I'm not sitting around whining about it anymore. But it's not pleasant that I'm divorced 41-year-old guy who sees his son half the time. I'm not like, that's not like a badge of honor or anything. So it's easier for me to champion the virtues of like, Enforcing your boundaries early yeah. and radical honesty and be courageous. And I would have never done that when I was 20, 25 years old. Totally. So, right? Like, I'm trying to be like realistic about what's out there, but I would just encourage people to choose courageousness because you're not going to be happy with your life if you sort of end up with somebody who isn't going to honor your values. That's such a great piece of mm. advice. I think that like the people that aren't even asking those hard questions at the beginning, we talk about that a lot of like, we'd rather figure it out for earlier and not have it amount to more if we're just totally incompatible. So 100% with you on that. But I feel like where I, f I question it a little is like, if I'm on a date, because I'm very upfront early on, and someone's like, yes, I totally agree on equality and sharing responsibilities. And that's them saying something. But what happens when it does and go into practice because I think people have good intentions for the most part, but sometimes the follow through isn't there. Like, how do you then have those conversations? Well, what does that look like, right? A lot of this stuff materializes when you share space. A ton of these conversations emerge when you're when you're roommates and or spending a lot of time together or quarantine together. Yeah. <laughs> so, how when in, in a scenario in which you have two different addresses? And you are just seeing each other once a week, twice a week. I don't know. How, how would that conversation organically emerge? I'm not sure. I, I think the conversation that would show up isn't the like emotional labor, invisible load situation, the dish by the sink per se. I think it's the, hey, this happened and I felt bad situation. Like mm -hmm. that's the one where it's like, is that son of a bitch trying to like decide for me whether it's okay or not okay for me to feel the things I feel? Mm -hmm. That would be, to me, the early relationship thing to like evaluate and talk through. Got it. Like, hey, 
you know, like you're great and I would really like this thing to work out. But one thing I'm not going to tolerate is a human being who thinks they get to decide for me whether my feelings have merit, whether my beliefs have merit. Um, I'm not going to choose to be with somebody. And so the brave thing is, can you courageously communicate that without and you don't have to write. It doesn't have to be a threat. It doesn't have to be mean. It can be. I really would love this to work, but it's not good for either of us for me to just feel bad all of the time. I'm simply not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just, I'm, right, the whole choose yourself thing. You're good enough and you're worth it and choose yourself. Yep. And I, I, you know, I pointed at me earlier. I really am not, I'm not like a horrible person. And that's the whole thing. It doesn't matter that I'm not horrible. It doesn't mean I can't hurt you. It doesn't mean being in a relationship with me can't result in your life being painful and worse. I don't think it would be today. But like, right, hypothetically, all of these really great people out there, it has, one has nothing to do with the other. And so you can't like measure just on, oh, they're so kind, they're so nice, and they're so funny, and they're so smart. It's not even about that. It's you have to have intentional conversations about what it means to show up for somebody. And everybody gets to decide for themselves. And my fear is that people that are 20 to 25 maybe don't even always know how to like define their personal values and boundaries. I don't blame them because I didn't either. But I love if they thought about it. I really do think that is the beauty of dating is that you're constantly trying to figure out where your boundaries are, what your needs are, what your values are. I would say in my current relationship, our roles are a little bit flipped. For the longest time, I thought I was just the perfect girlfriend because none of my exes have ever expressed their needs or some sort of unhappiness with me. So I just assumed I was killed in it at this girlfriend game and my boyfriend right now is the first one to really call me out and and not call me out in a way that's saying I don't like it when you do this but the way he frames it is it really means a lot to me when you do this and that puts it in perspective for me because it's not about the action it's that it means a lot to him mm-hmm. and I think that's what we can put into practice even more, and I wish I had done this in my early dating career, is just put it in perspective of it means a lot to me when the, when my partner does this for me. And so when people are dating in the, in the very beginning of a relationship, even though the dishes and the trash and whatever, that those are not scenarios that come up, maybe it's just practicing those statements with each other and say, it really means a lot to me when you do X, Y, and Z. So Yue, you said that Matthew's article changed your relationship. I'm I'm coming back to it. You think I forgot, (laughs) but I'm coming back. How do you think hearing this type of stuff started conversations for you and changed your relationship? And Well, I think, you know, you and I talked about this on a previous episode, which was when we first started dating, I had a stake in the ground about my identity. It was like, I'm an independent woman. I decide when I sleep over at your place. I decide when I leave your place. I have full control of my life. Fuck you if you don't like me, you know, that that kind of mentality. And so we had a lot of conflict or I guess not even conflict, just a lot of conversations about when I can sleep over. And at first, I just didn't want to give up my my control. And the way he framed it to me was, even though, and I appreciate you being independent woman, that's what attracted me to you in the first place. It means a lot to me when you sleep over. And the way he framed it really helped me take my guard down and, and think, 
it's not really about me in the situation. It's about how I can cater to my partner's needs. And I would say this, and I, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I would have to express some gratitude for his ex-wife who probably planted the seed for something like this mm. so that he's able to act on it in his next relationship. Because I can guarantee you, he probably did not express it in this way in his marriage. Right. So do you think that he, or I mean, I guess in a way he kind of had the same situation that Matthew did that ended in divorce. Like, do you mm -hmm. think that the same revolution was made from these experiences? And how did that affect your current relationship? You know, I won't sp speak directly to his relationship because I just don't want to, you know, yeah. try unfair to, to bring up details. But I will say from overall observation of all the divorce men I've talked to, these little things only come up in couples counseling. And then they get blindsided. They're like, wait, I didn't know that putting away the laundry was so important to you. Is that really why we're in couples counseling? And the wife, her mind is already five years ahead. She's already projecting to five years from now, because you didn't put away the laundry and the dishes, you left our kid at, in kindergarten because you're like, you forgot to pick up our kid because you're so irresponsible. You know, like her mind is already skyrocketed elsewhere. So that's where the disconnect is in that relationship is that to him, he's still catching up. To her, mm. she's already five years ahead. And I, I really do think that your article can really plant the seed, at least, for a lot of relationships. And it's not just men, because I, I sure as hell am, am very guilty for this, is planting the seed and just shifting your perspective on the situation. And for a lot of women, we also need to state our needs without having our, the men in our lives trying to read between the lines. I think that's what drives a lot of people crazy is that we have to just be more direct. It's not about the dishes. It's that it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me when you clear the dishes from the sink. I don't want to defend like vagueness because I, I couldn't agree more that directness would, would help so much. But I do want to be like a tiny bit empathetic about it. A lot of women are being really, really mindful of the way they speak because they're thinking about all of the ways in which what they say next might impact the other person, right? Uh, uh, I don't want to cause a fight. I don't want to make them feel bad. I don't want it, right? That's like the emotional labor. That's like, I'm responsible for managing everybody's feelings around here. So, I mean, I don't know. You tell me if mm -hmm. that's like, I'm full of it. But I feel like a component of that, like lack of clarity is sometimes just them trying to keep the peace the best they can. Yes. Yes. That's a really fair point. Because if you look at all the women's magazines and women's publications, it's always like how to speak husband speak, how to talk to your man, how to avoid conflict in a relationship. And I sure as hell have not seen any of those articles in like men's health, right? right. So I, I think you're totally right. I think for, for so many decades now, women have been taught how to meet their partner. But I think it's, it's it's time for men to also step up and also meet us halfway somewhere. Yeah. And that's a really good segue to takeaways. And I think like there's so many parallels with just everything that's going on in the world right now is it's on us to educate ourselves, right? Like if you're the one that isn't showing up and taking full responsibility, it shouldn't have to be your partner nagging you and doing that because that's going to just keep building resentment. And I think what else I'm getting from this whole conversation and your blog and your coaching and all of this is 
the earlier we can start, the better. Like before this stuff mm-hmm. becomes a problem, like having this as an awareness, like in looking at like all relationships in your lives, because it's not just romantic ones where this types of things show up. But I think romantic is amplified because you're like sharing a household with that person. I love this idea of just starting these conversations early, whether it's shared values and I think almost like what I've heard in this conversation is like, there's like two things that are really coming out. It's like, one, does this person listen to me? Like when I express stuff, how do they react? Do they just get defensive versus do mm. they want to change? Do they want to get better? Because I think that's one thing. And the other piece is how much action do they actually do, right? Like there's one thing to always say, like, I think UA, you brought this up is like, you've had partners that are just like, yep, yep. And then they yep. don't do mm-hmm. it. And then that just builds more resentment. So So I think it's like having the conversations, but then also the follow up action. Yeah, I really love that. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is your actions matter just as much as the actions you do not take. The inaction can be just as detrimental in a relationship. And for all the couples out there, because I've spoken to many of you who are in quarantine, who are having these really hard situations and uncomfortable conversations, take it as a great thing because you need to have these uncomfortable situations and conversations in order to move forward and evolve your relationship. And if you're just trying to keep the peace and not speak and not take the action, then it all builds up underneath. And that's exactly how earthquakes happen, right? They just build up. And then one day you're completely rattled and your relationship is exactly where you don't want it to be. So I really appreciate that piece of reminder that you gave us, Matt. I also love this idea of every time your partner asks you to do something or makes a request, your partner is actually asking you to show up for them in that relationship. So maybe you should just do a quick translation in your head when your partner asks you to take out the trash. Translation, babe, can you please show up for me in this relationship? I think for me, that really helps because it lets my guard down. My pride sometimes gets in the way. I can just sweep it off to the side and think I need to show up for my partner and prioritize him. And there is a stat right out there that women are the ones that usually initiate divorce because I think a lot of times it, it gets to that point where they're just done. Yeah, I think this getting ahead of it is early and often. I know, Matthew, I, yeah, I know you live and breathe this stuff, but is there any takeaways or closing remarks you have? Just the things you talked about, right? and it's seven out of 10, I believe, statistically. I, I, I don't know the exact number of divorces filed on average every day in the United States, but it is seven out of 10 initiated by women. UA sort of used like the earthquake analogy, and, and I've always used the smoking in 1960 analogy. In 1960, <laughs> people were smoking on airplanes and in classrooms and with the windows rolled up in their car and their babies in the backseat. And nobody thought twice about it. Mm. It was just we smoked. That was what people did. And then life happened and, you know, the American Cancer Society got involved and there was a bunch of medical data and we're like, holy shit, this is bad for you and people get cancer. And now today, 2020 and several years ago, everybody started to figure it out. Are now a society that fundamentally understands smoking equals this bad thing. Very few people smoke relative to uh, per capita, you know, the 1960s. And, And to me, that's what this has to be. People were doing things in 1960 that was harming their health and would eventually kill them without honestly, without having any awareness that what they were doing would eventually kill them. Imagine. And that's what I think relationship health is like today. People engage in activities that will end you. 
and will hurt you, it will hurt them. And there's no way you would choose that. That's not what you would choose. You just don't even connect those dots. So I think a mm. lot of people are innocently, blindly, unawarely, not a word, you know, <laughs> like, living, right? like living these things. And, and I hope we can eventually be having conversations where people think of a lot of these things that harm relationships in the way that we think about smoking today. I am aware that mm. they cause problems and I'm going to actively choose to not be a part of it. That is a great analogy. That's really fantastic. I think that's something we all need to hear right now. And we've gotten quite a few requests from couples who are going through a really difficult time right now. What is something that you can leave them with? And I don't think we need to go into like spiritual woo-woo shit, like oh, everything's going to be fine and love, just, you know, love each other and put each other first. I mean, that's great. But what is something really practical you can give them that maybe will just help them get through today? May I ask a question that you may not even want to answer? Do, do you have a largely female audience or is it pretty diverse male, female? Do you know? Very diverse. Yeah, That's split. awesome. So let me let me like do the stereotype thing and talk to the guys. Um, and I apologize because I know that this is not one size fits all and it never will be. But if you're a guy and if you identify with the story of I always respond to my partner one of three ways, I correct her. I say, hey, that did happen, but your feelings are a little bit out of whack. Like, why are you reacting that way? Or you explain yourself and defend it. If you're the kind of person that does that. And again, it's not like you're a bad guy for doing that. You just do it. I, I did it every day of my marriage, probably. Try to notice that you do it and just try to replace that habit with seeing that, hey, my partner's afraid, my partner's angry, my partner's sad. When I am angry, when I'm afraid, when I'm sad, this is how I want people to show up for me. So I'm gonna intentionally choose to show up for them and I'm gonna just try to get busy understanding how that thing that's completely out of my line of sight could have made them feel that way. If you engage and that's not, it sounds like really way more comprehensive than it is. Just try to figure out what the problem is. Try to figure out how he or she could come to that conclusion. And if you do that instead of the thing where you judge them and then try to correct it, it will change your life. It will. Like that little, simple, seemingly ridiculous action will change everything. If you are with someone who feels regularly invalidated when they try to communicate what's going on in their hearts and minds. Love that. That's great. I mean, I agree. That's like the most impactful thing anyone can do. Are you currently dating? What's your status? I, it's funny, I like strategically didn't answer that question. I know. <laughs> I'm not letting you off the hook though. It's funny. I, um, I see one person and I'm in this like funny place in life where like, I don't know what to do with myself. Right. So like, you know, nobody's like talking marriage, but you know, we've been hanging out for like a year. Nice. She's, she's lovely. And I'm, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really gross how much better I am at treating like someone I'm dating today versus my mm -hmm. wife. I have really this guilt complex about it every day. That's growth though. That's she's growth. Yeah. She's really cool. I'm not sure she wants to be my son's stepmother. I have no idea. You are. This is the most in-depth conversation I've ever had about. Wow. Honestly. Wow. <laughs> I'm glad we got it. And do you want to get married again? See, I'm not I'm not a marriage advocate. Um, I'm not anti-marriage. Mm -hmm. I'm against people who want to get married, getting divorced and feeling horrible because of the things they don't know will harm them. Mm. That's the real like crisis here in my estimation. I don't I don't really care if people get married or not. I just want them to be equipped with what they need to know if they do. I figure I'll know if I want to marry somebody again, right? It'll mm. like be really apparent. I'm in a funny place. My son's about to turn 12. I have a lot of insane things going on in my personal life with all of this. Mm -hmm. You know, right when you reached out to me, I mean the world changed. 
Uh, yeah. When we talked, I didn't have agents. Now I have agents. When we talked, I wasn't thinking about books and television, but now I'm having conversations about books and television. Amazing. That's and great. This is an insane upside down sort of world I find myself in. And when I start mixing conversations about dating and that, it's, um, I'm not sure what to say. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but if people do want to reach out to you, how can they find you? Um, all right. So my blog is called must be this tall to ride.com. And um, honestly, that's really, that's really the path right now. Um, but hopefully there'll be some others in the relative near future. Awesome. And we'll link in our show notes to that as well. Thank you so much. And they can find coaching services with you on there also. Oh, yeah. Sure. I try not to be like a whore about it. Right. It's like, <laughs> no, like, I mean, I want, I want to help. I'm, I'm here to help. I should say I'm here to try to help if somebody thinks that I might be able to, but I'm not out there like saying, Hey, I'm, I'm some answer to your problems. I, I, I'm not convinced that I am. Sometimes sharing my story helps another person say, that's a lot like me. And mm -hmm. then they draw the same conclusions and just maybe that leads to them not going through like what I did. Maybe more importantly, their partner not going through what my ex-wife did. Right. Really appreciate you speaking from the heart and sharing your story. And also just, it's a very humbling conversation mm -hmm. that we just had about the realities of relationships, not just marriage, relationships. These relationships could be also just platonic relationships too, and how much that can impact the rest of your life. And so it, again, really appreciate you, you coming on the show and sharing your perspective. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we let Matt go, we're just going to hold him hostage and uh, deliver <laughs> this announcement that if you like this episode, if you like our other episodes, please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. Again, we are able to get a great guest like Matt because we have the ratings and the reviews that we do, and we want to continue getting everyone the content that we really want to put out there. So please, it takes two seconds, leave us a rating or write some nice words. It's much, much appreciated. Or tell a friend, you know, leave us a review and then tell a friend. <laughs> All right. So we're going to wrap this up. Stay dateable. <laughs> the Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag StayDateable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable.